The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Welcome to Scrambled. This is your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode 19. I've been added to the wait list. Now what? I mean, I don't even really feel like we need to get into it. Just right into it. Now what? Because no matter where you call these days, it does seem, Nikki, that there is a wait list Mm -hmm. for mental health treatment. Am I wrong? You are so right. Unfortunately, Uh, there's, there's some good and some bad here. On the one hand, you know, that stigma we talked about back in like what episode two, um, mm-hmm. it appears that some of that has come down enough that people are asking for help. Which and sounds good. That's a good thing, right? That's what we want. Um, but in this post COVID world, so many people are asking for help that, that we're having trouble getting people in. And I, I know, you know, in our area, all of the mental health facilities are experiencing um, higher, in, you know, increase in referrals, difficulty getting people scheduled and and other struggles um, along those lines. And so um, I think sometimes the challenge is uh, I want help, I'm ready for help. And then you call and they say, okay, well, we've got your information. We'll give you a call when there's an opening. And I, I think that's really devastating to yeah. some folks because they're ready for help now, not, you know, a month from now or six weeks from now or whatever the time frame might well, be. Because you, you don't know how long it took them to make that call. To, to finally get the help and then so to get that. So when you say there's a waiting list, five people, 10 people, hundreds, how deep is the waiting list? It depends on where you're at. Um, so there's there's sure. several different types of mental health facilities in our particular area. And I know we're just we're just one small area compared mm-hmm. to you know nationwide, but some of the the bigger you know clinics and practices, they could have hundreds of people waiting to get wow. in for services. And it's not unusual for mental health facilities to have a little bit of a wait list or a wait list for a specific provider who you know specializes in a certain area. But right now it's it just seems like it's across the board to get in with anybody anywhere, you're having to wait a little bit. And that is so frustrating for so many people. Now, you mentioned in a post-COVID world, but do you think the wait list was pre-COVID or has that exacerbated the list? COVID has has definitely contributed. I, I do think a lot of places had a wait list beforehand. Um, I know the clinic where I work, we did. It wasn't mm-hmm. super long, but you know, it wasn't an immediate get in you know, for services kind of thing either. But it kind of depended. I mean, urgent situations, you know, we pretty much could get people in right away for that kind of thing, but you might have to wait a week or two or three to to see, you know, the specific person that you're waiting for. But now it's it's just so much higher. And it definitely shot up the the referral numbers shot up after COVID hit and then they just gradually increased, you know, over the this last year. And then you have options like telehealth too, which I can't imagine have helped in some. I know it's not a, a right fit for everybody. No, telehealth has been one of the, I mean, I don't want to say good things about COVID. It was obviously a tragedy for many folks, but if there was anything good that came from it for the mental health world, it is, A, we have telehealth now and it looks like it will be around um, for a while. Um, The rules are tightening up a little bit. and So some insurance companies may not pay for it, or you might Mm. have to follow specific rules about state licensure and things like that. But uh, we think it's going to be there for 
for the foreseeable future. And that's awesome. Um, but the other good thing that came out of it is this awareness of mental health and, and people saying, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk to someone. Um, it's just the volume is is maybe higher than we were ready for. And I think that's that's kind of where we are is like, oh, gosh, this is this is great. Everybody wants help. We're going to have to try to catch up with yeah. that need. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's a good problem to have, but it's just an awful problem. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing would be would get more information, but please be careful when you go to the to the internet and search for any kind of medical advice. Absolutely. There's a lot of great information on the internet, but you want to make sure that you're looking for reliable, accurate information. Good ways to know that would be if you recognize the the website as as a common household name. So um, for example, Mayo Clinic has mm-hmm. a lot of great information. Um, WebMD will probably increase your anxiety, but you you can pretty much trust that the information on there has been vetted out by experts. And we'll give you some more you know, websites and other places you can check too. But the, the key is find more information, look up what you can do, feel free to use the internet as a resource, but be careful you know, what you're, what you're looking into because not everything out there is designed for your best interest. What does it do to a, to someone's mental state? And, you know, we focus so much on children, so you got to think it's the parents calling to get the children help, but let's talk about adults for a second. You've finally gotten the, the nerve to call and ask for help. You've been told now, yeah, we'll get you in when we can. What does that do to your mental state then? I think for some people it can, it can trigger, you know, kind of a, a crisis for them. They were already mm-hmm. in a tough spot and now mm-hmm. you're being told um, you're going to have to wait an indefinite amount of time. That can actually increase symptoms just because you're thinking, well, I thought I was going to get help and now I'm not. And, you know, and it's, there's disappointment, frustration. Um, and the risk is that, you know, you won't reach out that when they do finally call you and say, Hey, we can get you in with so-and-so you're going to be like, Nope, sorry, I needed help. And you weren't there. So I'm, I'm done, you know, and that's, that's a a real risk. It's very scary. And there's, you know, lots of different populations that are struggling with the impact of what's happened these last last couple of years. And so, um, you know, kids and teens have had unique struggles. Uh, People who have lost family members, you know, they're needing help to cope with, with that people who are, you know, now working at home, and their social life is completely different. Their day-to-day routine is completely different. There's just lots of different folks that um, are, for lots of reasons, needing a little bit more help and might be saying, hey, it's time, but just not able to get what they're looking for. But, and that's where, you know, I want us as as mental health people <laughs> and people talking about it, having this conversation, I want to encourage creativity and thinking about, okay, well, maybe I can't get in with this counselor, but what are some things I can do to get through this period of time? What can I do to prepare for therapy or what other, you know, resources are there out there that could help me through this? And so that's kind of the the point of today's episode is, you know, what can you do while you're waiting? What are, what are some very hands-on active strategies you can take to manage mental health issues until you're able to get in with someone? Hit the subscribe button to scramble the children's mental health podcast, right? Would be step one because, and I say that somewhat as a joke and jest, but also, I mean, you've given a lot of good stuff and we've gotten some good feedback of some of the information that you've given that's been very beneficial. And some folks have come up to me and saying, you know, we could not get into see a mental health therapist, but we learned from episode XYZ, this could help and we did it and it worked. So while we're waiting, we've done that. So yeah, I say it kind of in jest, but there's this, there's also other kinds of uh, podcasts that you can use. And speaking of technology, are there like apps and stuff to kind of journal some of your symptoms or food intake? 
goodness, yes. There, well, there's an app for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I found an app the other day that will tell me what book I should read next. There's, there's apps oh. for everything. But in terms of the mental health world, there's apps for tracking symptoms. There's apps that will teach you more about your your particular diagnosis. Although that's kind of risky. You want to make sure you know don't diagnose yourself with an app. But if you know you have generalized anxiety disorder, for example, um, you can kind of input information into an app, and it'll kind of help you process that and make sense of it and um, track your symptoms over time. There's um, cognitive behavioral therapy based apps that will help you take negative or distorted thought processes and patterns and kind of shift them and replace them and and help you kind of catch negative thinking when it's happening. So, you know, there's a tough for adults and kids alike. Um, And and since we're all staring at our phones anyway, if you're in a situation where you're you're thinking about mental health help or you've got yourself on a wait list somewhere and you're like, what do I do until the time comes? Look up different apps in your app store on your particular device. There's there a ton of really cool ones. There's meditation apps. There's mm. um, apps that just you know list coping skills and help you choose the right one in the moment. And journal apps and diary apps and so many different things. So definitely technology can be your friend in this situation. And I would say from a parent standpoint too, some advice I would give is like talk about it because once we started opening up more about our son's anxiety. So many people were like, yeah, dude, I can relate. Here's our story. And then you you just start the conversation and you you learn from each other. So be open with it. If you're if you're open enough to make the phone call to ask for help, which is great, be open to shattering that stigma and and talking about it with your friends and family. Yeah, and, and regardless of your age, if you let people know, hey, listen, you know, we've reached a point where we're gonna be asking for some help. We've we, you know, seeking professional help. And in the meantime, these are some things we're struggling with and we could use your support or you know, would you be able to help us with with this part of it while we're waiting? If you've got a child whose behaviors and emotions are just all over the place, you know, you you need support too. So, um, letting people know what you're about to embark on or that you're trying to get help um, is a really good way to to help you just feel more support in the process. This might be kind of a tough question for you to answer because you are a behavioral th- uh, therapist. But when someone comes into your office, a brand new client, what should they expect? I mean, should they come in prepared? How do you prepare for that initial therapy visit? You know, the thing is that this would be a positive from all the wait list stuff is that people do have time to kind of really think about what they want and what they're looking for in therapy. Mm -hmm. And so my recommendation is if you know you're going to be meeting with a therapist, sit down before the appointment, make a list of questions you have. What do you want to know about that therapist? What do you want to know about their approach? What do you want to know about your symptoms? What do you need from them? What what are you looking for? What would you like them to help you with? You know, list your goals. List the things that you'd like to be able to do if therapy will help. Because I can tell you, in answer to your your question, Chad, is first thing we're going to talk about is why are you here and what do you want to get out of this? How will you know when this is working for you? And so sitting down and kind of thinking through those things before you get there, it's going to save you some time. You'll be able to jump right in. If you're a parent and you've got you know, a child that you're taking in, you can imagine that first session is going to be a lot of information gathering. They're going to ask you a ton of questions. They're going to ask the kids a ton of questions. Um, and their their goal, the therapist's goal is going to be to get an idea of what's going on and how can I help, right? So if you come in saying, you know, these are the things we want to work on and this is the stuff that's kind of getting in the way and here's what we want your help with, it kind of starts the ball rolling in the right direction. Does the child have to be present for a therapy session? This can kind of depend on where you're going and, and your your insurance and some of the billing criteria oh, okay. where you are. So many insurance companies will allow 
for a therapist to sit down with parents to gather information and, and like bill for that assessment time without the child present. But the assessment itself wouldn't be completed until the child could be incorporated and the therapist could meet with the child and interact with them and complete that assessment. But you know, it also kind of depends on the approach of the therapist. So I've, I've got some therapists I work with that would absolutely prefer to see the parents first and get all that background information sorted out before the child ever enters the building. And then I work with others who want the kid there the first time so they can immediately see, you know, the dynamics and the interactions amongst family members and kind of how everything is, is working for the family. So, you, you know, that's a question to ask when you call, you know, if you're calling to get put on a wait list or you're calling to sign up for services, ask what the, the you know, options are for that and think about what you want in the meantime, what would be best for your family. Interesting because I hadn't thought about the insurance thing. I was just thinking like if the parent's going in and has to to say things about the child, they might not want mm-hmm. the child to hear. Yep. They should be given that right. But yeah, I didn't think about yeah. insurance going, no, the kid's got to be yeah. there. Huh. Yeah. And it's it's best. I mean, my, my preference as a, a therapist is to not have parents speak ill of their kids in their presence or talk about the really hard things. Now, older teens, you know, I want them to be part of that conversation. I want them to be able to share their perspective. But even then, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about it without worrying about, you know, the child having to hear something over and over again that's hurtful or um, if you're talking about trauma or a really scary experience that may have occurred you know, reliving that over and over again can be really hard. So um, it's important to check your options ahead of time. And that's, that's actually something that um, I'm going to, I'm going to plug here. I didn't think about it ahead of the episode, but if you are seeking mental health care before you ever reach out to a place, you know, to sign up or before your physician refers you or how, whatever path you take to get there, call your insurance company, find out what your benefits are, find out exactly what they're going to cover, how much of mm. it they're going to cover. Um, do you have any time frames? Is it, you know, one assessment uh, session per calendar year? Um, because, you know, that might make a difference in how the assessment looks and how those first t- couple of appointments go. Um, find out if you can do family therapy you know, or if it has to be just child, you know, in the room every time, see what your options are. Because unfortunately, you know, our insurance companies are all different. They all have different Mm -hmm. rules, you know, find out what license your therapist would need to have. There are some, and I'm talking about Illinois because that's where we live, but some insurance requires an LCSW or a licensed clinical social worker. And some are okay with an LCSW or an LCPC, which is a licensed clinical professional counselor. So you want to find out what your options are through your insurance, because there's nothing worse than getting started with someone and thinking, this is awesome. This is exactly what we're looking for. This is going to help so much. And then finding out your insurance doesn't cover it. Here's your bill. Yeah. Big old bill. So um, do just do your homework. No, no. And if you're waiting anyway, (laughs) it gives you time to call and ask those questions. So you won't be, you know, surprised by the cost of your services later. Sure talk about adding anxiety. So let's talk a little bit about self-care then. So if you're calling, and again, we're focused on on children, but what what can we as parents do? And then also what can the child do as far as self-care, making sure they're as well as they can be while we're waiting on that phone call back? So I think, you know, once you've recognized that there's the potential for emotional, behavioral, or mental health issues, child or adult, your, your most important thing until you can get the help that you need is to take care of the basics, right? So stick to a routine. You want to make sure you're eating and drinking every day. You want to make sure that you are taking care of basic hygiene every day. You're getting into bed and out of bed at approximately the same time every day. You're getting some sunlight you're, when it when it's available. <laughs> you're, you're getting some <laughs> physical activity because, you know, if you're sad or you're depressed or you're a child who's anxious and you aren't exerting any energy throughout the day, that anxiety or that depression is only going to just escalate. So um, being physically active and, and the hard part about all of that, so I just, I feel like I need to say this, is 
when you feel that way, when you're struggling with depression or anxiety, the very last thing on the planet that you want to do is take a walk or go outside or take a shower Mm -hmm. or eat a sandwich. Right. Um, And so if it's a child that's struggling with those things, the family members need to be very aware of those basic needs and helping motivate the child to do those things. Even just a little burst of time. If all you can do is get a five minute walk in. Okay. That's something let's take it right. If you're an adult and you're struggling with those kind of symptoms, it's a little tougher, but that's where you need to reach out to your support system. You need to have your, you know, your friends and family members that love you and don't mind a little tough love, you know, really, really kind of push you to get through because it, you know, you won't feel better <laughs> hiding in your bed, you know, until the the counseling office calls back to say you yeah. can get in. I know we've talked about this uh, a lot in past episodes too of like when the parents feel like they have to constantly make excuses for the child because the behavior they have in the classroom or on the sports field or whatever is seen as very unattractive behavior for a child, but it's a mental health condition. So if you're waiting, what advice can you give to parents of saying like, you don't have to make excuses for it, just Mm -hmm. be open about it? Yeah. I mean, that's it. You said it. Just, just talk about it. You know, Hey coach. This is, this is a thing that's happening. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's the things we find that help. Do you have any suggestions? You know, we, we want to get through this as gracefully as possible, but this is hard and Mm -hmm. things aren't going to look perfect for a while. And, and we just, we just want to let you know where we are and same for, you know, teachers or family members or daycare providers, just communicating with them. And, and, you know, the good news is if you have a tight support network in those people, your coaches and daycare providers and teachers, they already know, you know, that you're having a hard time. They're, they're in it with you and they, they realize that, that things are rough. And as we have talked about in those previous episodes about, you know, in school and in other places and how to kind of talk about these things with folks, you're going to have people that get it right away and are eager to help and know exactly what to do and are handling it better than you are. But you're also going to find folks that just don't really understand and that's okay. Yeah. You know, you, you can try to share, but it's, it's not your job to change their mind or anything. So just focus on what your child needs and, um, kind of going back to that, that basic stuff, you know, I, food is, <laughs> it's kind of important, yeah. right? We all need it. Um, but thinking about how your children eat and how that affects their mental health and well being is kind of important because there's, there's so many different things it related to nutrition that can affect your children's mood and behavior. And so you can have a kid who's, you know, got a shortage of a vitamin and that's, you know, triggering some, some anxiety or some other things. You can have a child who's getting too much, you know, red food dye or something, you know, these are just random examples. You definitely want to talk with professionals in that area to find out what might help. But if you've got a child who's struggling with behavior, anxiety, depression, any of those things, look at what they're eating, you know, attract the food intake. I know kids aren't always a huge fan of, you know, like broccoli or carrots, things like that. But the more nutrition you can give them, the easier it is going to be to rule out that it's food related or that, you know, they're, they're, you know, missing something nutritionally. Um, so that's, that's an important conversation to have with your physician, your pediatrician, you know, how are they eating? What's that look like? And that's also another kind of thing to watch is if they're dietary habits have changed dramatically, that may be part of whatever condition they're dealing with or part, mm-hmm. you know, might be a response to, um, anxiety. It might, might be related to the anxiety. So, food intake um, plays a big role and you want to pay attention to that as well. Interesting. So if you're on the waiting list, you mentioned the the primary care provider. What kind of relationship should you have with your pediatrician or primary care provider while you're waiting for a mental health facility to call you back? Good question. So when you are be, you know, waiting to get in with counseling, a lot of times your primary care provider or your pediatrician was the one that made the referral. So they're well aware that you're having a hard time. I know in our community, you know, physicians are making referrals all the time right now. And, and we, you know, I think it's great. I love that, that doctors and counselors can now work together and try to meet, you know, 
the whole child, you know, meet all those needs. Um, if they don't know, if the, the referral did not come from your physician, then letting them know just a, you know, a message or a phone call to your doctor's office and saying, Hey, I just wanted you to know, you know, we've signed up for counseling services with so-and-so and, you know, we'll let you know when it gets going. Um, sometimes, you know, getting releases signed, um, at your doctor's office so that they can share information with the counselor is helpful. Sometimes you can do that when you get started with the counselor anyway, you know, get there and have, fill out releases at that appointment and then they can communicate with your doctor. Um, the other thing you can do, because if you're on a wait list, you know, maybe reach out to your physician and find out if they know who else might have openings. You know, they're going to be familiar with, you know, the other facilities in town, the other providers in town. They might be able to give the, you the name of a private practitioner that they you know, would recommend. And um, so they might be able to help you get in faster at the clinic you're trying at or at another location. So it's always good to keep them in the loop because they're a huge resource for that kind of thing. We mentioned a little bit about exercise and stuff, but let's talk a little bit holistic health now. So yoga, meditation, massage, chiropractic care, does all that help with this? Those things can make a huge difference. And and that's if you are seeing signs, you know, red flags, signs of mental health conditions in children or adults alike, and you can't get in, you, you don't have a professional to talk to, look into whatever interests you in that holistic world. If, if you're interested in doing yoga, go do some yoga because uh, it, it, it can make a big difference. It, it gives you a different perspective. It helps you to move in a way that you haven't before. And that, that certainly yeah. can enhance your mood. <laughs> Watch your neck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very bendy. Yeah. And I'm not. But, <laughs> But with yoga, you can get there, you know, but, but all of those different approaches work for different people. So, yeah, you know, if it, if it sounds ridiculous and you want to roll your eyes, don't do it. You're not going to benefit from it, but if it appeals to you, you know, someone give it a try, you know, and with kids, there's a lot of links between yoga and different types of movement and mental well-being. Look online. There's a ton of yoga videos out there for kids on YouTube and various places. And, um, you can. You can teach them at home. You don't have to go to a class, but there are classes too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of cool places that do yoga classes for kids that incorporate, you know, breathing exercises and self-calming exercises and things that would really help with whatever the mental health condition is. So I can't emphasize enough that, you know, being creative and looking for um, outlets and resources outside of counseling is a really good idea and it can make a huge difference. And by the time you get in with that counselor, you may have addressed 50% of the problem already. Let's talk a little bit more about chiropractic care and other holistic things, because totally my opinion here, I'm not a doctor. I took a health class in high school. That's about the extent of my knowledge. (laughs) And I think I passed it. But your spinal column protects your central nervous system. And I got to think that that nervous system helps control or controls the uh, anxiety Mm -hmm. and and all that in in your brain. So if it's kinked or messed up or something, an an adjustment may help. Uh, Thoughts? Yeah. Like you, I don't, you know, have a degree in in medicine or chiropractic care. And so I I can't speak to the risks or benefits, but I can say anecdotally that um, it has, you know, when I've had adjustments, it has enhanced my mood or helped me to just kind of have a a better sense of well-being. Um, And so, and I've I've read some things that suggest that helps. And I, I would just say that any type of holistic or natural health care that you feel comfortable trying, um, you know, speak with your physician if you have questions about the risks and benefits, because they'll they'll tell you kind of what they think and they can guide you in the right path. But um, it's it's worth trying. You know, there don't do anything you don't feel safe doing, but um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways to get at well-being. And so chiropractic care is one of those. And there's some some really great chiropractors in our area that that I think highly of. And, you know, I think if you have questions, look into it, talk to your doc. Um, 
and see if you can get a referral to somebody that's, that's you know, skilled with kids, you know, that, because yeah. I don't know that all chiropractors work on children, but um, if you're interested in that, I would say that is an, a great avenue to explore. Some work on babies. I mean, we've had my son mm-hmm. adjusted. I always feel taller when I leave. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, hey. <laughs> but we've had my son adjusted a couple of times and we've seen uh, dramatic change walking out of the office in, in mood and, and then the, the following days of behavior was much more calm or better decisions were made. So, you know, I guess to each their own, but it's, it's worked mm-hmm. for us. Sounds like it's worked for you. So mm-hmm. yep. it's, it's worth looking into. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about online help. We talked about telehealth with uh, some therapy and, and some of your primary care stuff. I've heard a lot of commercials where you can actually call if you want or, or video chat with a therapist anywhere in the country. What are your thoughts on on outfits like that. So I, I remember, you know, pre-COVID, there was there was talk of all these online like counseling options, and I, I remember as a as a team of therapists, we were like, well, hey, you know, don't steal our Kool Aid. Like this is this is what we do, you know, like right. get, get get out of our. But um, today, <laughs> as we've talked about in this episode, there are so many people in need of help, and there are so many obstacles to care that if you you know, if your insurance will cover that or you can afford that, mm. I think it is worth looking into. And, you know, I, I've known some therapists that have gone and, and worked in that kind of a setting, work for oh. better help and, and some of those other things. And, and they, it, it looks like a really great option. So I'm not going to say it's a bad idea. I mean, I okay. think like any other place, you want to make sure it's the right fit. You want to know the you know qualifications of your provider, make sure that they are trained in what you need help with. Um, if it's not right, you know, make a change, you know, um, feel free to give feedback. Like you, you should be telling your therapist if things are going the way you want them to go, or if you feel like you're you know, benefiting from it or not. Um, and so the same would be true with any online healthcare provider. Um, but I think, I think it's a great option, especially right now. D- d- does your boss listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, like I said, the need is really high right now. So, you know, that's what it's all about. If it, if it can yeah. fill the void until you can get a face to face and again, telehealth and stuff like that's not for everyone. So, I mean, right. it's, it's not great for my son, to be honest with you to, you know, we've got to be kind of in person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, to each their own. What about support groups, whether they be in person or online. And I got to think like there's Facebook groups for everything. There are support groups for everything right now. And the online versions are awesome because you don't have to necessarily go anywhere. You don't have to interact. If you're not feeling like you want the social part of it, you can get information, you can get resources, you can get connected. You also, what you get from a support group is a sense of unity. You you get a sense of like, I'm not alone and other people have the same issue and you, you just don't feel so isolated. And so um, I'm a big fan of support groups. And if you like them in person, that's awesome because now you're developing relationships and that helps you navigate this whole world of mental health. Um, But online ones are pretty cool too, because you know, you can, you can do those when you have time. Um, So I definitely think that's a great way. And for parents with kids who are struggling with mental health issues, I mean, go to Facebook, Google, wherever, and, and look up support groups for, and put in the particular symptoms or diagnosis that your child might have. And you're just going to find a metric boatload of different options because there's, there's a lot out there. And that's a really cool thing going on right now. And I would think to have a conversation with the kids school, like we've called and we're on a wait list, but you know, here's, here's what we're seeing at home or here's what's we're seeing at school. Let them know that you've, you've sought help. And there's places in most districts, there are social workers and there are counselors that can also help kind of fill the void. Yep. 
Yep. And, and so you, um, that makes me think of therapy groups. So support groups are, are, you know, kind of informal. You don't usually pay for those. You can get, you know, connections and ideas and resources and be involved in different activities and awareness kinds of things. But therapy groups are a different beast altogether and yet another really great option. And so um, a lot of places are providing more therapy groups because you can get several people in at a time. And so hmm. you can start to work on some things even before you meet with an individual therapist. So for kids and adults alike, seek out therapy groups in your local clinics and, and uh, mental health facilities, because, you know, that's, that's something that I'm seeing ramp up um, as we, you know, as clinicians are thinking, gosh, there's, there's sure are a lot of people trying to get in. What yeah. can we do to be creative and meet the need? Oh, what if we did a therapy group for, you know, kids struggling with anxiety and their parents, right? So now, now you've got the opportunity to get some information and it feels a little bit safer if you've got kids are kind of intimidated by the thought of counseling, mm -hmm. being in a group with other people can actually help for some, that's not the right fit. They want the more one-on-one, -on -one. but the point is that therapy groups are are a great option. And um, that's something you want to check with your insurance if you're calling it to find out what your benefits are. Make sure they cover therapy groups. Make sure, you know, find out what the limits are because, again, you don't want a big bill. I'm so glad you keep bringing up insurance because I, as soon as you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then two seconds later, I'm like, I forgot about insurance. <laughs> so I, I, I like all the reminders. Yeah. Um, have a plan, I think, is the, the gist of what I'm taking from this episode of write down some questions for the therapist. And then also like what's your short-term and long-term goals once you do get into therapy, just kind of think out the future a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And jot it down, make, you know, put it in writing that helps you to feel more invested in it. Get your kids involved. If you're taking your kid to therapy, find out what they want to get out of it because that therapist is going to ask them. And so if they've had an opportunity to talk about it with you ahead of time, it's going to be a little bit easier for them to get those things into words when they sit down with the therapist and related to plans. Uh, another thing that I strongly recommend folks who are struggling right now is make plans for the future. So that plan might be, you know, I'm going to watch a movie with my friend, you know, tomorrow night. Small thing, right? Not a big deal. But maybe that's the thing that gets you through the day. Maybe mm -hmm. that's something to look forward to on the horizon that just kind of helps. Um, and so making those small plans can make a, a, a big difference. But making long-term plans too, like it's it's fun to plan a trip. And, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with current things, thinking about the future and thinking about a time when maybe you're going to feel a little bit better, um, that can really help. And so when it, you know, a lot of ha happiness um, studies, like research on happiness, suggest that um, having something to look forward to is a big part of happiness. And so plan, plan things. I mean, maybe it's just a coffee date with a friend or a weekend trip, but um, set aside, you know, hey, I'm going to do this at this point. And then it just kind of gives you something to look forward to. Off of making a plan, if you're on that wait list and you have some fairly immediate needs, what do we need to do as far as safety and keeping yourself and your loved ones safe as they're waiting for that call back? Okay, so this is, I'm really, really glad you brought this up. First and foremost, most clinics have options for people who are experiencing safety-related concerns or urgent mental health needs. And so I, I can't speak for all, but I know mm -hmm. at our clinic, if somebody calls and they are experiencing some safety issues or their child is, we have, we, we can squeeze them in. We can find a cancellation. We can move some stuff around. We will do what we can to help. Um, and even if it's just, you know, a consult over the phone to help you figure out what your options are, we will help. People will be there to help. So if you're on the list somewhere and things reach kind of a crisis point, call. Call and let them know because they may be able to help you or they may be able to give you a suggestion of a place you can go, you know, to, to deal with the more emergent needs. So that's that's the one thing is don't feel like you have to wait if it's scary stuff, if, if there's self-harm behaviors or threats, um, don't wait. And related to that, if you if you have those things, but they're, you know, like safety behavior or safety related concerns, but they're in check. 
it's still not a bad idea to have a basic safety plan in place. So if you've had a child who's maybe engaged in self-harm or who has made them some threats to others, uh, you know, eliminate some of those risks, take things out of the home hmm. that might be, you know, potential weapons or might call, you know, be used in self-injury, um, jot down, you know, here, if, if I feel like this, here's what I can do enlist, you know, family supports to be there to help protect, protect the child or supervise, or, you know, just help to avoid any dangerous things from happening. And so creating a safety plan is very um, helpful in a situation like this. And so um, you can look on, you can Google safety plan and chances are you'll find like a blank template that will help you to to jot down just some things that you can do. And as an adult, that's very important. I was kind of focused on kids there for a minute, but honestly, you know, adults who are struggling with suicidal ideation, there are a lot of things that you can put in place to kind of help protect yourself until you can get to help. And safety planning is one of those. And there's always 911. I yes, mean, we've absolutely. talked in this, I spent 22 years in the media industry and I develop relationship with police officers and firefighters and EMTs and paramedics. And uh, police always would tell me, because we'd call if something happened at the station that was kind of weird and there end up being nothing. I'd be like, sorry, waste your time. He's like, you're not wasting our time. Mm-hmm. We would much rather come investigate something that's nothing than get the call later that we have to investigate a crime. So it's the same thing. If, if you don't be afraid to call 911, if you don't feel it's an emergency, it doesn't mean that it's yeah. not. And if, if your child is doing something that makes you worry about his or her safety or the safety of those around you, take them to the emergency room. If you mm-hmm. cannot physically get them in the vehicle and take them, call 911 they will help you transport. This is hard stuff to think about and talk about, but it's important to know that one, you're not alone. Lots Mm -hmm. of families deal with that kind of thing. And two, there is help. And so, you know, 911, if it's not super urgent, but you're getting worried about that kind of thing emerging, then by all means, call the place that you're on the wait list and let them know that you're facing, you know, a, a crisis and they will help you. We mentioned earlier too, Nikki, about social media, that there's lots of different groups in there, but I gotta also think that you might want to avoid social media if that's what's getting you down. <laughs> yes, this is a really good time to to pay really extra close attention to the media that you're consuming. And I know we've talked about, you know, social media and the kind of information that you're taking in before, but if you are on a wait list for mental health services, you should really be monitoring how much time you're staring at a screen what you're staring at on the screen. Um if you have a child who's waiting for mental health care, really limiting their screen time to short bursts, 15, 20 minutes and go take a break because the longer that they're, you know, sitting, staring, not moving around, not getting, you know, social support and interaction with other people, the more it's going to increase their symptoms. And so, you know, making sure that the movies that they're watching or the, mm. the, the videos that, you know, that they're more positive because you can absolutely become depressed or more depressed or more anxious because of the, the material that you're watching. So limit exposure. You can also, you know, leave groups that are causing you to feel stressed. If you read a post and it makes you anxious, I would unfollow that, right? Like don't, don't put that. This is your, your downtime. Like don't Tap my friends list. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so be it. You know, we have to, we have to protect ourselves. And so um, for kids, especially it's, it's go through their phones with them, help them to identify, you know, what makes them feel good and what makes them feel worse. And, you know, so if you've got a child who's super worried about weather, that should probably not be watching weather videos all day long until they've got the skills to handle that kind of anxiety. So, um, but the key is to just take control over that for yourself or work with your child to kind of better manage that. As we just told people about social media and the harm that it can cause, we want to mention that we're on social media, but we're there to help you out. Sometimes we put funny little memes out or whatever, because I do think laughter is the best medicine. And if you're able to laugh, I, I do think it makes you feel better. So we're on Facebook at Scrambled Podcast. We're also on Instagram at Scrambled Podcast. 
And we encourage you to interact with us. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure and share this podcast with your friends and family. Hit that subscribe button so we drop a new episode in your podcast app every other Wednesday. Although, remember, we're doing every Wednesday during May, which is Mental Health Month. Our next episode, we're going to kind of take what we learned today and and talk about the other side of things. And maybe what uh, we're thinking as mental illness could just be normal developmental milestones for your child. So we're going to talk about what is normal and what is not and when it's a good time to seek professional help. Our goal with this podcast was to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 